right. Welcome, everyone. And thanks, John, for our new intro. It's now we have a post-story dance party. And this is like our pre-story dance party. I hope you're all dancing around there. All right. So I am Amy Antonucci, and I'm here to welcome you to our True Tales Live Zoom show, our first for 2022 on January 25th. Thanks to everyone watching and listening, and especially those here in our live online audience. We are so happy to see you. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell first-person experience stories, stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity, and help us to, to understand each other, to build uh, bridge differences and, and build respect. And we are so happy again to be here with you, even on Zoom. And we have found a few things that you can help us with that will lean into Zoom and, and make the experience better, we think. We really believe that storytelling, storytelling is an exchange between tellers and listeners. So first of all, if you keep on your video, which we invite you to do, you can have big physical reactions to connect with the rest of the audience and the tellers. For instance, let's practice one now. Let's cheer for Pat's computer working better. Beautiful, we love it. Excellent, well done. So we, you can use those. Um, we also want to remind you about the chat. That's another place that you can share, you know, your feelings about this, the show, and also where you can put some questions if they come up. We'll have a little bit of time for Q&A at the end with our tellers, and it's a, just a great time to get a little more into some of this, the pieces of their story that they may not have put out there and you would like to know. So use chat. We do save it at the end and share with the tellers. Tonight's show does not have a specific theme. Our tellers are Mio Yamauchi, Andy Davis, and Jackson Gilman. Pat Spaulding will be our MC. She is going to introduce each teller to you. So let's give Pat a nice long welcome so she can deal with her computer situation and, and pop up for us. Pat, welcome. Did you hear me now? Yes. You got it. Take it away. Okay. Well, welcome, everybody. And um, that was a fabulous intro, John. I love the music. It's so energizing. It makes me ready to listen. Yeah, look at look at Amy dance. I dance, too, but I'm holding my phone. All right. First up, we have Mio Yamauchi, who was born and raised in Japan and now lives in Los Angeles, California. She brings a unique perspective, and sense of humor to storytelling. I've heard her tell before, and that is true. During the day, she works as a computer programmer, writing narratives for computers to perform. <laughs> but in her off hours, Mio's insatiable curiosity about life, people, and the world that they inhabit lead her on adventures that find their way into stories. We're glad they do. Whether told in person or online, Mio's stories captivate and delight audiences from all across the country. Tonight, she'll tell us a love story, one that begins as a sparkly romance, then takes a twist off course 
when trust is broken. The title is Love for Joes. Come on up, Mio. Thank you, Pat. I moved to California from Osaka, Japan in 2004. A couple of years later, I met him. It was a classic story of meeting someone, going on a few dates, and then falling in love. He was always pleasant and caring. He was nice to everybody. I was in awe of his charms. I even introduced him to my family and friends in Japan. Japan. Everybody welcomed my love. Born and raised in California. Trader Joe's. He was so smart. This is his lip balm. It says music to your lips. When he has a playful touch like this, he usually uses a different name. In this case, he called himself Trader Johans instead of Trader Joe's, referring to composer Johann Sebastian Bach. Is he brilliant or what? And he was so romantic. Regularly, he wrote letters to me. Who does that? Do you write letters? Oh, I didn't think so. In his letters, he told me what's happening in his life and his family members. And he was so sweetheart. He loved me so much that he even carried sushi for me. Of course, because he was my boyfriend, I had his sushi instead of the one from a Japanese supermarket near my house. He said it was sushi, so it had to be sushi. It must be, right? Oh, how was the taste? Regardless, he was my Mr. Right. There was something about him. I don't know what kind of magic potion he was using, but he was so addicting. But one day, he cheated on me. I tried his organic baby broccoli. It was so nasty that I couldn't even finish it. It didn't have any flavors organic vegetables usually have. Instead, it left a nasty bitter aftertaste in my mouth. Yes, some people had questioned his so-called organic food before, but I didn't want to listen. His organic vegetables and fruits didn't taste great, but who cares? He was Trader Joe's. I believed everything he said, but even love couldn't defend that baby broccoli. Yeah, it was that nasty. How dare he assault me like that? I was so upset that I didn't see him for a week. It was our first fight. But everybody needs a second chance, right? So the following week, I made up with him. And he did it again. Organic food shouldn't taste that bad. Then what was it? Was it genetically modified food? Better known as GMOs? Does organic have a different meaning than I thought? 
my head was going to explode with all the questions. I couldn't keep it to myself anymore. So I had to ask my friend the most difficult question. Hey Siri, do you think Trader Joe's organic food is really organic? After a moment of silence, she says, no comment. She's hiding something. When your friend is not completely honest with you, that's a bad sign. So I started digging up the truth on my own. Do you know what to do when you doubt your love? Follow the money, which I did. I read his financial reports, but I couldn't find where his food came from. What is he hiding? How many mistresses does he have? What's the, the dirty secret? That's it. If he can't be honest with me, I can't be with him. So I ended our relationship and started seeing somebody else. Don't tell him. His name is Whole Foods. Our dead study of great organic loving atmosphere, cute eco bag, and good selection of wine and friendly smiles. Whole Foods had similar features to Trader Joe's. He didn't have Aloha shirts or didn't have a bell at the cashier, but that's okay. I can live without them. Besides, Whole Foods had some hot items. I truly enjoyed our first date. Our interactions were lovely and I felt special connections between us. But like my mother always says, I didn't want to move too quickly. So I ended our first date early and proceeded to the checkout. Miss, $56.34. Excuse me? I only have a couple of items here. And you say, what? That's my whole paycheck. How much do these almonds cost? This is nuts. <sighs> So where do I stand now? Well, I'm dating farm boys casually, like Sprouts and Bristols, and sometimes Trader Joe's brother, Aldi. Hey, don't judge me. He's the bad guy here, not me. And I sometimes even tried regular guys like Ralph's. Everybody seems nice but nobody has stolen my heart yet. In the meantime, Trader Joe's is trying to win me back. He still writes theaters. Will I go back to him? Mm, I don't think so. But I do get some desserts, his desserts and frozen food from time to time. Yeah, he's my booty call now. Thank you. <laughs> that was that was pretty good there, Mio. Can you hear me okay? Yes, thank you. Okay, okay yes, that was um I'm actually having an affair now with a Manadnock food co-op. 
that's who I've been hanging out with. We got a thing going. I actually pay them to be able to shop there. <laughs> so um, Trader Joe's is actually uh, looking kind of uh, less expensive to me, I, but I'm far away. So I'm I'm having it on with Manadnock Food Co-op. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks for getting us to think about food and romance all in the same story. Thank and you. <laughs> Next up, we have Andy Davis. He lives in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, where until recently he co-directed the World Fellowship Center, a multi-generational educational camp and retreat center devoted to peace and social justice. Andy got his start as a storyteller 30 years ago, telling comic tales by candlelight in Mexican refugee camps. How many of us can say that? Only one that I know of. He has since broadened his craft to include multicultural folk tales, tall tales, shaggy dog stories, and the occasional personal tale, like the one that he'll tell us tonight. Let's hear more in Andy's story, Really Identical. Come on up, Andy. Hi, Pat. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. So my brother and I were standing on a dusty roadside in the heart of West Africa as the sun started to settle toward the horizon. And we were completely befuddled about which way to go. We held up our bicycles by the handlebars and looked from left to right. as the sun was setting towards the horizon. And I realized that I was, it wasn't uncommon for me myself to get in a bind improvising, but my brother usually had a clear plan when starting out an endeavor. Did I mention that my brother and I were identical twins? It, when whenever I say that, people often follow it up with how identical. The answer is really identical in the obvious ways that people first think of. But when it comes to temperament, my brother is the type A twin. When we were babies, I was contented to crawl about on my belly while my brother was coming up with a clear workout plan so that he could learn to walk sooner than me. When we shared a room, he was the one who folded his underwear while I dumped all my clothes out in the middle of the floor so I could find things more easily. My wife will attest for you that that's still my my uh, clothing storage plan. When we ran our first marathon together, my brother came in under our goal time while I undertrained and brought up the rear. My brother has enough advanced degrees for both of us. But when it comes to our worldview, our hopes for the planet, and what we 
hold sacred, we're gloriously identical. And throughout our adult lives, we've looked for opportunities to come together and have experiences together, which become touchstones in our common culture. So that's how I ended up to be visiting him as he was finishing out his two years in the Peace Corps in Burkina Faso. And of all our time together on that trip, this one magical afternoon stands out in our common memory. He finished up his work day teaching English at the high school in Kudugu. And then we hopped on bicycles and pedaled north out of town, past the big Catholic church, past herds of sheep and goats that were nibbling on the green grass that had popped up since the first rains began a few days before. A couple kilometers out, we turned right between two spreading baobab trees and we zigzagged our way across the grasslands of the savannah between mud-walled family compounds, past farmers in conical hats that were working with broad hosts to get ready for planting. And that afternoon took on the timelessness of childhood. But it was a timelessness of childhood with the additional factor of alcoholic beverages. Because in each hamlet that we passed through, some generous soul would wave us in and we'd sit down under a thatched roof and have a calabash of dolo, the homemade amber colored millet beer. And so as the afternoon progressed, and we got more of these invitations. Eventually, the timelessness evaporated as we saw the sun setting toward the horizon. And we realized that with all those calabashes of liquid hospitality and all the turns we had taken on our bicycles, we had absolutely no idea how to get back to my brother's house in Kudugu. And Judd realized that the, direct, the directions that we would need would be sufficiently complicated to surpass his knowledge of the local language. So at the next village, he asked if there was a French speaker in the town. And we were led to the house of the chef du village, sort of a mayor. And we were invited in and we sat down in front of a long low table like a coffee table and they served us tea. We were somewhat relieved that it wasn't dolo. And then as we began to sip our cups of tea, they asked questions about where we were from and then followed up with, well, is, are the United States a neighboring country to France? I should tell you at this point that these were men who knew how to build their own houses, raise their own livestock, raise all their own food under very challenging circumstances. They lived in a, a complex cosmology that linked them to the ancestors and to each other and to the generations to come. 
They just didn't know international geography. And it seems fitting to point out also that we were the ones that were lost and they knew exactly where they were. But my brother crouched down next to the table and he began to move about the teapot and the little teacups to give a sense of scale. And he said, so we're here. And then you would cross the Sahel and you would cross the Sahara and you would get to the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. And you cross the Mediterranean Sea and at this point he's gesturing past the far wall of the house and you, you reach France. And at France, you hang a left and you go at least twice as far as you've already traveled and you get to where we live in the United States. Well, the chef du village and the man who had brought us there looked at each other, smiling in confusion. And then the chef du village said so softly that we could barely hear, que Dieu est grand, God is great. Well, we did make it home to my brother's house that evening. And a few days afterward, I followed the path he had sketched out starting at the coffee table back to the United States. But that simple phrase has stayed with me and stayed with my brother as well across all those long years since. Que Dieu est grand. God is great. No matter how many times we've heard similar phrases shouted with dangerous conviction by true believers of all stripes. That simple expression of humility before the grandeur of creation seems to us like an antidote for human arrogance. And now when we get together on a mountaintop, or in a canoe as the first rays of dawn sunlight cut through the mist. My brother, I, one or the other of us will look across the canoe or across the mountaintop and whisper, could you go? And our smiles are identical. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you. I, uh, I, I'm unmuted now. Is that correct, Andy? You are unmuted, Pat. That was beautiful. It uh, took me a moment to uh, unmute myself on my little phone. Um, well, it took I, me a moment to unmute myself at the beginning of the story. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> Things take a little time. Um, I love that line. Of, a calabash of liquid hospitality. And could you say one more time that very ending about God is great? I didn't say it slowly and just so that we can all let that sink in. The French the, version. The expression, que Dieu est grand. Que Dieu est grand. Très bien. <laughs> <laughs> Merci, Andy. Now, next up, we're going to um, hear from Jackson Gilman. 
He's from Onset, Massachusetts, and he has performed stories, songs, and comedy throughout the country for over 40 years. <laughs> I've known Jackson for at least that long, I'd say, Jackson. He's taught storytelling at Colby College and is often tapped by his colleagues for private coaching. And recently, he received the National Storytelling Network's Oracle Award and was inducted into their Circle of Excellence. Congratulations from all of us, Jackson. That's quite the honor. Jackson says that he's quite comfortable in trees, on snowy mountains, or in a boat, but without an extra ounce of body fat. He might not be cut out for cold water. Nonetheless, um, is it ever too late to start a new New Year's tradition? Hmm, you might be thinking, what tradition is this? Well, let's find out in his story, Taking the Plunge. Come on over, Jackson, and get us started. Thank you, thank you. And uh, I loved Andy's story there. And although we don't share the exact genetic makeup there, I like to think that we're gloriously like in other ways, being kind of a tree-hugging, new age lefties. Uh, <laughs> and when I do go visit him in New Hampshire, we are in the wintertime, sometimes we go cross-country skiing. And one time I went there and the conditions weren't good for that because there was a crust on the top of the snow that you'd break through, but it was a good day for, for hiking. So he had this uh, frozen pond he wanted to take me to. I was up for an adventure. We were dressed properly and took off. And every once in a while you break through the crust and that wasn't a problem really. You just pull yourself up out. But when we got to the all the way to our destination, the pond, well, when you broke through the crust there, underneath was a lot of several inches of slush. But, you know, I had good waterproof winter boots and wool socks, so it wasn't a problem until it was a problem because the water over each of my, top of each of my boots. Andy now had taller boots and he was fine, but there's no way I can walk with these. So I kind of make my way over to the bank there and take off my boots and pour the water out of each one and wrink out the socks as best as I can and put them back on. And now we got, oh, it's a long ways back. <laughs> so I start hiking. And uh, he's, and he's more checking on me. Okay, I think yeah, I'm, I'm starting to lose some toes. I think, uh, but uh, <clears throat> you know, well, we'll get back as soon as we can. So you've heard of the expression, you know, when someone's unfortunate enough to lose a, a leg or a, a arm, they sometimes there's a phenomenon called phantom limb, where even though the limb's not there, you can feel like it is. Well, I was suffering the opposite of that because I knew I was walking. And I wasn't sure my feet were coming with me. I mean, they were, I could, I, I started to lose my feet, my ankles, my lower limbs. I mean, I'm walking on ghost limbs and I, I don't want to admit to him, but, and I haven't up until this time, but I really was scared and I didn't know whether I was going to make it back to warmth under my own power. Maybe they'd have to get a sled to drag me out of there, but, ah. Oh. <laughs> Eventually, you know, after we decided that that pond, and I got back to the warmth of his house, and my legs started to thaw out. My ghost limbs were back, and 
I'd have to say that hike really was worth it. I think. Anyhow, um, <laughs> that's kind of a good ice-breaking story for what happened on a recent, a recent winter adventure uh, this past New Year's. Um, I've been part of the Buzzards Bay Rowing Club, and we go out in a whale boat with five people and a steerer, and they have a tradition of going out. Oh, and we're all kind of seniors, you know, so like some of us have these magnetic details on, decals on our car that says, yeah. <laughs> So they, in the past, they've gone out on New Year's morning, really early, to row in the New Year. And I thought, that's a great tradition. Yeah, I'm on board. So they make the call early in the morning whether or not the conditions are good enough to go out. And I got the call really early that it's called off. It's like, oh, I wanted to row in the New Year. Oh, well, a friend who wanted to go with me. Uh, we're all dressed up, nowhere to go, so, well, hey, let's hike in the new year. I'll meet you at the canal, and uh, well, we, the Cape Cod Canal, and we hiked the canal. It was a great hike. We hiked in the new year. And I got back home, and it was a quarter to ten in the morning. And I thought, oh, that reminded me. The steerer of our boat was making, had plans to do the polar bear plunge in her community. And I know that we have a polar bear plunge here where I live on Onset Beach. And I thought, wow, I could go down and watch it. I've watched it in the past. And I've never had any interest whatsoever in joining all those polar bears plunging into the water. <laughs> and if you want to know my back story of me in cold water, let me take you back to my high school years. I went to school in Putney, Vermont on a farm. And I was really close friends with these four other uh, friends. And they, we were all folk dancers. And they were also puddle jumpers. And that refers to the pond that was right near the barn of the farm that was affectionately called the puddle. And Thursday nights, right before folk dancing, they'd go to the puddle with an axe and chop a hole in the ice. And then after the folk dancing was over, where they were still warm, hot, and sweaty, they raced to the puddle, disrobe, and into the water. Oh my God, I'd be there as a support team to help pull them out. And I had never any interest in going in. But every time they came out, standing there naked on the ice, they'd go, and they'd wax poetic about this glow inside, this exhilarating rush that they felt. And they weren't faking it. And they knew that if they got back to their dorm bed in their dorm while that before the flush went away, they'd be fine. And my roommate, the craziest one of them all, Hank, he would race off to where we had our house, the furthest off campus, a long ways away. He'd run streaking barefoot all the way back there. And he'd get into bed soon enough that he was fine. And I thought, man, it's crazy. And they never had one ounce of peer pressure to have me join them. But so that wasn't the motivation. I was just so curious as to what they kept describing when they came out. I wanted to see if what they professed was true. So one night I decided to take the plunge.
You have to experience this to believe it. But everything they said was true. Oh my God, there was this like fire inside me that was pulsing out through every appendage of my body. I was like filled with this inner incandescence. I got in my clothes as fast as I could. Hank was racing, streaking all my we were running beside him. I got into my warm bed in the dorm and it took me a while to recover, but it was worth it. I think. But I, I was wondering, you know, when I thought about when I immerse myself, and I can't soft pedal how excruciating that moment is. Every cell in your body is just in shock and screaming. Every part of my body is screaming except my voice because you can't say anything because I scream. But once you know the reward afterwards, maybe it wouldn't be so hard to, would I consider going again? Well, the next week, <laughs> they're doing their same thing. And I, I didn't want to be seen as a one-trick pony or a one-time dipshit, you know. So I thought, hey, it's going to be worth it at the end, right? <laughs> okay, I did the plunge again. I don't know what was different about it this time. Maybe it's because my head actually went under the water this time. But if there was a soft, warm globe permeating through my body, it was overridden by what was going in my, going on in my head. Because my head was just throbbing, throbbing. Every time a pulse of blood was going through, it would be like jangling my brain. Every heartbeat felt like a hammer going boom, boom, boom. I had to get in my clothes as fast as I could. I raced to my warm bed as fast as I could. The whole time my head's still going, bam, bam. I'm in my bed. My head's still going, bam, bam, bam. And recovery took hours. Definitely not worth it. <laughs> so now you can see why me in cold water, you know, diving it into the polar bear plunge, you know, that wasn't my cup of tea. As a matter of fact, I am still, still, I am such a wuss when it comes to cold water. I mean, even on a warm summer day on my opposite beach, warm water, how do I get in the water? I do the old, old man kind of thing like, and he gets to the tender part. <laughs> so I'm thinking at quarter to 10, am I going to, I'm going to go to the polar plunge, but do I have any intention of going in with them? Well, the, the temperature, the air temperature that day was freaky for January 1st. It was like 51 degrees. I mean, if there's ever a day to consider going in, today would be the day. But, you know, like if I went in, I should have a support team because I might be in such a state of shock afterwards. There might be no condition to get home. But everybody else in my household was still sleeping. It was New Year's morning. And I thought, well, I just I don't have time to think. I just grabbed towels and warm stuff and I got to the onset beach just in time. And I'm thinking... Am I really going in? I don't know, but I figure maybe if I'm in the midst of all these other polar bears who are all excited and they're going to go in on the countdown, the splashdown, you know, I'll be caught up in the infectious vibe and, and I'll, 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 of course I'll go in with them if I'm in the middle of the pack there, you know, and, uh, but, you know, I've learned my lesson from the past, so this time I'm, I'm prepared. I know what to do. 
I gotta keep my head out of the water. Yeah. So they do the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, splash down, and I go. <laughs> and I get out, and I'm checking to see how what condition my head's in. It's not throbbing. Oh, I get in my warm clothes. Okay. How's my head? It's still okay. Yeah. Okay. And there are the rest of the polar bears. You know, a group of polar bears, a proper name for them, it's a celebration of polar bears. And they are celebrating. They're there with a the hot chocolate and hot cocoa and pastries. And I'm thinking, I'm going to join them. So I go over there and I sign my name in as polar bear number 42. <laughs> and those blueberry muffins look really good. So I'm going to take one and I'm going to take off my mask to eat it. Wait a second. I'm not wearing a mask. No one's wearing a mask. We're totally socially undistanced polar bears. I mean, oh my God, I've been so careful all this time. Oh my God. Hide thyself to the car and get yourself home. Am I going to make it under my own steam? Yeah, my own inner steam. Yeah, I am in that car. I am racing home when I get there. When I get home, that hot shower. Oh, oh did that feel good? Oh. And recovery time? Pfft. I was recovered. There was no, it was great. What a way to usher in the new year. <laughs> a new tradition starting from now. I'm going to plunge into the new year. It'll be worth it. I think. Oh, Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just had to say I figured out how to unmute myself. I mean, what an experience to just plunge in with you, man. You did take everybody there. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I and if any if there's any doubt whether there's a question whether I really did it, I just want to show you there. Here's the Wareham Weekly polar plunging into the new year on Onset Beach. And there is a picture of one guy racing out to get warm, as it says, as fast as they can, and you'll see a purple hat on that guy there. See? That's me. Yeah. Here. <laughs> Poof. <laughs> Thanks. Take it away, Amy. You can mute me now. <laughs> All right, Pat. Let's see if I can. Yeah, I can. All right. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Mio. Wow, some exciting stories. And um, I'm glad to have had that experience from you, Jackson. I am convinced to never do it myself. I'm not a fan of cold water. So that was as close as I'm coming and thank you. All right, so we are gonna take some, do some Q and A here. I've been checking out the chat and folks can keep putting things in there while I get it started. And we are gonna start with what is, you know, probably gonna be the, the most important question here. And it is for Andy. It is about this identical twin thing. Does he have the beard? So uh, he did have a very impressive COVID beard. 
But uh, yeah, that, uh, we that's one of the ways that people tell us apart is generally for our adult life. Ever since my father stopped telling us when we had to get a haircut, which has been a while now, and once we could grow facial hair, I've always been the shaggy twin. And we actually made use of that one time for our best ever joint Halloween costume when he was a very trim, neat Dr. Jekyll, and I was a woolly, chaotic Mr. Hyde. Excellent. Great. Um, I also should mention from the chat, as we've been discussing our technical difficulties tonight, Andy did point out that this today is the, let's see, that the movie Gremlins came out on this day in 1983. So we're going to blame Gremlins. All right. Thanks, Andy. It's always good to have, figure out what's going on. All right, so I have a couple questions here for Mia. Um, Nina would like to know, well, let's, let's start with this one. Can you tell us where the idea of this story that you share with us tonight came from and your process in developing it? So it's all, it was all true and I really loved Trader Joe's and I felt betrayal when I tasted that baby broccoli. So it started as a research speech rather than storytelling first. So my focus was sharing the, my findings and how I felt about Trader Joe's. It was like a closure speech. Then while I was revising and editing, then I realized that it's a, like a romance story. And I have to tell how much I loved Trader Joe's in the beginning. And yeah, so it's still developing. Particularly, she was wondering about the humor also. It's such a funny story. And did you like have to work on that or does it just come naturally to you? Uh, it, it really happened as is, I asked Siri like a crazy person so many questions, hoping that I will get an answer from her that I couldn't find online. And yeah, so I'm just saying, yeah, telling what I do and what I think. Got it. It just unfolded that way. Beautiful. We're, we're very glad that it did. And she also wants to know, do you have a similar love-hate relationships with any other, let's say, you know, entities such as coffee and tea shops or cars or cable providers or your internet providers or, or would it was just this grocery? <laughs> Maybe not as long as the grocery stores, but I have some kind of love and relationship with the phone carriers. Yeah, I think everybody has a bad and good experience with them, and I'm still searching. Okay, I see some nodding there. You're not alone in that, that uh, experience. Okay, <laughs> interesting. 
Great. Um, let me see other questions coming in. Uh, Penny and others seem to join me in being happy to observe Jackson's event from, from afar. Jackson, are there other, um, I don't know, physical, you talked about hiking and canoeing. Are there other adventures like that, that is this like a big part of your life going on these sorts of adventures and challenging yourself or was, did these stand out because they were different? In terms of cold water, this definitely stood out because I, I really am a wimp when it comes to cold water. But uh, I've I've gone in unintentionally on on some rapids. Yeah, I remember you know trying to keep myself warm enough on this bank, trying to run as fast as I could, and I was barely moving a half a mile an hour just until uh, <laughs> we got picked up. But um, I, I used to be a lot more uh, adventurous than I am now, but um, I still love being outside. I, and, I, and I am very comfortable in a tree. I still am comfortable in the trees. I think I used to be arboreal in a previous life. Excellent. So your, your childhood tree climbing has continued? I, I didn't actually start getting into it until, until I was in Vermont, and then I became like I was... I spent a lot of time in trees <laughs> and then I did it for work for a while too as an arborist. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Um, there are also some comments on the, the physical storytelling that you did tonight, Jackson. Is this? Well, my background is in, in mime and movement. And uh, so, uh, and we're trying to make stories, you know, visual as possible. So uh, we, this is the tool that I'm most comfortable with. So um, when I coach people, I tell them, show, don't tell. And, and I got some really good coaching from Galen and Judith Black and some other folks, you know, to remind myself of what I tell everybody else. You know, don't narrate this part. <laughs> Just show it. <laughs> I used to have a long, very prosy thing about being back on icy firma if I got back. And, and I loved the language that I had for it, but I, it got tossed. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. It's always interesting to see the different pieces that each storyteller brings, um, you know, that makes their style along with their story so unique. It's really cool. Andy, um, I know you're going to be interviewed for the backstory, so I'm going to ask some not too in-depth questions here. But where, where's your brother now? Uh, so he still lives in West Africa. Uh, they live in Senegal now. And uh, we have purchased adjoining parcels in Tamworth, New Hampshire. Uh, I'm actually, um, Andrea and I are house-sitting in his house while we build our own house. So uh, yeah, the identical twin part, uh, the identical twins now are going to be able to grow into their dotage uh, on identical twin parcels. Well, that's lovely. I have heard that being a twin is a special experience. Is that your sense or is this, a part of it, but I've never heard you talk about your twin before, Andy. So can you say a little bit about what it's like to be a twin? I mean, for me, when uh, 
When we were kids, my father was moving us around sort of unsuccessfully pursuing the American dream, going from place to place, from Freeport, Maine to Yarmouth, Maine, down to Long Island and so forth. And so I was always the new kid, but I I wasn't the only new kid and I had a built-in best friend. So, uh, so yeah, it uh, there was certainly uh, competition between us, but at the same time, yeah, we were super close and that set a good um, stage for our adult friendship. So we've always been separated by an ocean that he gets over once a year and we're looking forward to seeing each other more than once a year. Nice, that's really nice. It's kind of like having a built-in buddy for the buddy system. Yeah. I was a big fan of not, you know, feeling connected. That's beautiful. Um, let's see what other comments or questions. There's a lot of people just really had a great time tonight with these fun stories um, and deep stories and so much to experience. Um, yeah. Now, both of you, this isn't the first story that either of you have shared with us. Do all of you, or let's see, I, I'll not ask you yet, Andy, because you're going to be talked to before, but Jackson, I know this is a big part of your life. How are you, are you in the midst of developing other stories right now? Is this your newest one? What's well, this one obviously is new because it just happened. Uh, it, was, it was the right after the plunge. I, I wrote it up as a as a kind of an essay, and I thought um, I, I wasn't even considering it as a performance piece. And then P Pat read it and said, "Hey, why don't you do this for um, for True Tales Live?" And I said, "It's not really a performance piece. It's kind of a written piece." And then I thought about it, and then she said, "Hey, Andy's going to be on the billing too." I said, "Oh, okay, I'm there." <laughs> It, she enticed me and it worked. <laughs> and then so I thought about, you know, breaking the ice with a story about me breaking the ice with him. Yeah. Nice. So when the stories happen, they happen and, and uh, you run with them. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. How about you, Mio? Are you, do you have other stories in process? Always. <laughs> and then solo show this year. Oh, that's exciting. Will that be on Zoom? Yes. All right. Hope to see you there. <laughs> All right. So we can stay tuned into that. I also know Chris, Chris Newcomb, is he still here? Uh, he has a solo show coming up as well and put information in the chat about that. So that's exciting. And I, I although I think his is in person in Maine. And Mio, you are joining us from LA, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is the, the the silver linings of this online world right now is these connections we get to make across quite a bit of difference um, to be with each other and hear each other. So um, I'm really glad to hear that you have a show coming up and that we don't, might be able to join it because it's online. Thanks. Thank you. All right. And uh, Andy, I, I, again, I don't want to take too much away from your later conversation, but 
How many other stories do you have in the works right now? Uh, I I sort of always am working on uh, something in the folktale realm and something in the sort of historical realm and and a personal story. I like uh, sitting on the bank and fishing in these three streams. And uh, yeah, so I I did a. Um, I did a show a week ago on Story Space out of Boston of shows that of stories that have developed during COVID. But yeah, I've uh, I've sort of always been working on the story during COVID, but haven't performed that much. So it's um, it's fun to get back out and uh, figure the Zoom thing out a little bit. Well, great. We're glad that you were willing to do it and um, and join us. So next, actually, I would like to introduce you all to someone new, Sarah. Sarah Benningfield, there she is. Sarah is part of the True Tales Live crew, including being our treasurer. And she has a public service announcement for <laughs> us. Um, well, hello, everyone. Um, and I want to thank the three storytellers um, tonight and how awesome they were. And to just show how awesome that Two Tales Live is and how fortunate we are to be able to attract such superb storytellers. So thank you very much. And thank you to the previous storytellers who are attending tonight, who have also been part of our organization. Um, what I want to just talk about is the fact that True Tales Live operates through a volunteer board, and everyone puts in a lot of hours um, to make this happen. And it's because we believe in supporting and promoting this special art form of storytelling. So even though we don't pay ourselves, we do have expenses. And some of these expenses are in the area of licensing fees and also in the area of software fees that allow us to really uh, record and make these shows available to a larger community. And when we met in person, face-to-face, um, -face, it was easier for us to sort of collect donations, but now it's become a little bit harder when we work online. And so my job here as the treasurer is just to let you know um, that we uh, that you can do a donation only if you want to, um, that you can do it through our website, that there is a donate button. Um, the website is truetaleslivenewhampshire.org. And you're, um, again, if there's no pressure to do that, I just wanted to let you know that because um, we are not uh, operating in person anymore. And so people may not be aware of how they can do that. So um, just letting you know that, and I do wanna do a shout, shout out to Nina who made a very generous donation and we appreciate that so very much. So um, if you have any questions, you can certainly email us. Um, or you can ask Amy uh, or any of the members of the board. But uh, again, thank you. And thank you to our storytellers. Thank you, Sarah. It's not, not the most fun job to have to talk about, right, folks? <laughs> so I really appreciate it. All right, so I have a few other things to tell you all about. Um, we are gonna be moving next to the backstory interview where David Frainer is gonna speak further with Andy Davis. And I saw their, their pre, you know, their emails about what they're gonna talk about. And I promise you, it's gonna be really interesting. 
Um, first, let me just remind you that our next True Tales Live Zoom show is on Tuesday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. And this is a featured teller show, one teller with numerous stories. We'll be hearing Tom Osberg's Misadventures. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to find the link to register. We would love to hear your stories. Our plans and themes for 2022 have been released and we still have quite a few open slots for storytellers. You can find info about this on our website and Facebook page. We are starting off on Zoom. What we know is that we're gonna be on Zoom February, March, and April. We hope to do in person in May and June, but we can make no promises as we all know how the world is these days. We encourage you to attend one of our monthly workshops on Zoom from 7 to 8.30 p.m. The next one will be on February 1st, Tuesday. You can get feedback about your story and also practice telling on Zoom if that's a new, new thing for you. You can find out more by reaching out to us at info at truetaleslivenh.org and also go to truetaleslivenh.org to find the links to register for the workshops as well as to attend the shows. Watch us on PPM TV, Comcast Channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. and anytime as video on demand or podcast. Again, our, our website, truetaleslivenh.org, is the place to go to easily click and get to those things. Let's take a moment to thank some of those who make this show possible. John Lovering, Pat Spaulding, David Frainer, Sarah Benningfield, Sam Adams, Kamisha Foley. I'm Amy Antonucci. And before we go to our backstory 15 minute interview, it's just 15 minutes, it'll go so fast. Um, we're gonna have one minute of movement. This is our new thing, our True Tales Live dance party. We love it. If you join us in, join with us and dance, it's so much fun. So just even if it's little here like this, that's okay. Some of us are going to get up and seriously dance, but John is getting the music ready and the, the um, video for us to dance to. And then we'll come back shaking off the Zoom web, cobwebs there and hear the interview. Go ahead, John. <music> Thank you. 